0: If someone as gifted and godly as Timothy had his struggles, we're not amazed when we find it tough at times. And we do find it tough at times. Remember that we are those who live as Christians in every sphere of life, and so if you're finding it difficult in some sphere of life at this present time, you are finding that difficult as a Christian. You shouldn't separate those thoughts. Church is good, but this area is awful, or this area is difficult. Everything we experience in this world, we do so as a Christian. And at times, the going is tough. This is a very particular setting here, of course. Timothy is struggling. He has this difficulty. We've seen it all the way through these verses. That he is perhaps being somewhat timid and fearful in light of Paul's imprisonment. And it may well be that he's suffering the temptation of being ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, verse number 8 of chapter 1. So Timothy's context is very, very unique and particular to his experience. Paul is now in glory, he's not in prison, and we are not Timothy. But yet we learn much from how Paul helps Timothy in his struggles. And so if we've got to endeavor by God's grace to take the particulars here and apply it in a more general sense that all of us would know the help of God as we come around the word today. Particular here, but certainly applicable much more generally. Timothy finds going the going tough, and so do so many of us so often. My Paul is not unsympathetic here. His love for Timothy is clear. He's not unsympathetic to the challenges that Timothy faces, but he does not excuse him either. You know, when struggles come in our lives, a wise counselor will bring together both empathy and exhortation. They'll come together. The one without the other is less helpful. And so someone may see you in your struggles and they may come alongside you and bring you much comfort and support and arm around the shoulder. They may empathize with you in your struggles and that's, that's very helpful. But it's even more helpful at the same time if they address the difficulties and bring you exhortation in your struggles as well. And of course, if someone comes to us and exhorts us without empathy, it comes across as being harsh and unloving. It's very hard to take the words of exhortation from someone who does not genuinely love you. And so Paul brings both of these things together. That itself is an instructive lesson. Empathy and exhortation coming together as Paul seeks to lead Timothy along in this time of need. And so he says in verse number 2, Now therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. That very text itself, bringing together the need for empathy, encouragement, and exhortation. You see, the whole section here is a unit. We often say there are no chapter divisions in the original letters of Paul. And this whole section is a unit. We see that, at least in part, because of the connection between verse number 13 of chapter 1 and verse number 2 of chapter 2. And these verses are connected by the phrase, The things heard of me. Again, verse 13 refers to the form of sound words which thou hast heard of me. And then verse 2, and the things that thou hast heard of me. And so the whole section still has to do with the need for Timothy to hold fast the form of sound words and to keep the good thing committed unto him. This all comes as a package package. And so, as we'll look today at verse number 15 and following, please understand this is coming as a unit of thought. Timothy, hold fast. Timothy, keep. Timothy, be strong. Timothy, make sure you do not fall back at this time of need and challenge. Again, I remind you, this is a particular setting for Timothy, but there is application more generally. How do we hold fast? How do we be strong? How do we keep the faith? You think of chapter 4 in the verse number 7. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Well, Paul, how can we do that? Timothy might say, Paul, how can I do that? Well, Paul encourages Timothy using several devices in this section to encourage and to exhort Timothy to continued faithfulness. He tells Timothy, remember the examples. He tells Timothy to depend upon the Lord. And he tells Timothy to pass on the truth. All of these three devices are helpful when it comes to the need for Timothy to be strong, to hold fast, and to keep those things committed to him. First of all, then, he says, remember the examples. I say remember because verse number 15 says, This thou knowest. And verse number 18 says, Thou knowest very well. So Timothy's not being told new things here. He's already aware of what's happening in Asia, and he knows Onesephorus' faithfulness also. This passage presents to us three individuals Vigelis, Hermogenes, and Onesiphorus, And this is the only place in the New Testament we learn anything about these men. God's record of two of them is less than positive. And yet for one of them, there is an abiding word to encourage all generations. I think if I put it this way, keeping the truth is such a pressing matter that it reveals character. When the gospel is difficult, people are exposed. I've spoken to several people, pastors in churches with light of covid Um, One of the things they have said is that when there were difficulties and troubles, it revealed what was true in the hearts of some in the church. It was a revealing situation. And so it is the case whenever the way of truth can be challenging, it reveals people's characters, causes man's true state to be revealed. Clearly, as Paul writes now, this is not an easy time to be a believer They've got Paul. They've locked him up in prison. He's in chains, literally, verse number 16. And so what's happening here? Hearts are being revealed. Fagellus and Imogenes are part of a widespread Asian abandonment. Again, just for the young folks here, and perhaps not so young, Asia here is not referring to the place that we know as Asia today. It's a province in the New Testament times, in around the Turkish region today, Ephesus was the capital of the province. Oh, right, Ephesus. That's where Timothy is. He's laboring in Ephesus. He's here at that time, and thus he's aware of what's happening around him. He's living in the context of widespread abandonment of the Apostle Paul. Here, we've got to be somewhat careful. It says here in verse 15, All they that are in Asia be turned away from me. The word to turn away, there is the word that we get our word to apostatize from. Uh, That's the original word in the Greek. But it may well be they've turned away from Paul. And perhaps not from the faith altogether. But of course, these things are so closely connected that their turning from Paul may well reveal their heart is turning away from the Lord. They are. Abandoning Paul, the apostle of Christ Jesus. it's Very serious. Well, again, we don't know exactly what happened to these two men. These two men are listed particularly. And there are some who speculate that what's happening here is Paul asked these two men to come and to stand with him in his trial. Go across to chapter 4 and the verse number 16. Uh, At my first answer, no man stood with me, but all men forsook me. So some yes, well, that's perhaps what happened here with Phygelus and Hermogenes. They were those who would not come and stand with Paul in his trial. I think it is fair to say, more than likely, they were those who were ashamed of his chains. And I say that because of how strong a theme that is in this entire section. Verse number 8 Be not thou therefore ashamed of me, his prisoner. Verse number 12, I am not ashamed. And verse number 16, in the contrast, Onesiphorus was not ashamed. And so these other two individuals stand in contrast to Paul and to Onesiphorus. And so there is abandonment. Quick passing comment. Widespread abandonment is no excuse for you also giving up on the Lord's work. You do what's right. Though others abandon Christ in their droves and turn away from God's truth, you stand fast to the truth. You see, these men stand in contrast. The Asian abandonment is in contrast to the courageous consistency of Onesiphorus. He's not ashamed. When he was in Rome, he sought very diligently to find Paul. It's hard to know why was he diligent in that regard. Various thoughts again. Perhaps he didn't know Rome. And perhaps there were very few believers in Rome at that time. The numbers were depreciating in that city. Paul's place wasn't known, and therefore it required thoroughness on Onysephorus's part to find Paul in Rome. Hard to know, but here this courage of Onysephorus is marked by great consistency because. He's consistent in Rome, but also was consistent when he ministered in Ephesus, verse number 18. He's, a, he's opposite to these other men who abandoned the Lord. Now, again, the unique timing should be acknowledged. We're not finding Paul in Rome. We're not those who are struggling in the same way these men were. But it does reveal to us what true faithfulness looks like to Christ ultimately. Because faithfulness to Paul was faithfulness to Christ. Matthew 25, as much as you did it to the least of these, my brethren, including visiting them in prison. You see, Paul is though one of one who is receiving the kindness of Onesephorus. And Onesephorus does give us a clear example of what it is to be consistent in the Lord's work. You know, again, just passing comment examples matter. How we live and conduct ourselves impacts others in the church. Paul uses negative examples and positive examples to warn and encourage. I would not want, I don't want to be someone used by someone else negatively. You want to walk with the Lord? Do not walk as he walked. What a thing that would be to experience. I want to be one who others can look to and say, you should walk as he walks. Because Christ is formed in him. That's what should all desire. But how you live in this very church impacts others. You will either encourage or discourage. You are not neutral. In your actions, in your conduct, in your words, you are having an impact upon the church of Christ in this place. Examples matter. And so please, see the example of Onesiphorus here. As an example of steadfastness, selflessness, and service in the Church of Christ, you see those things in your bulletin. Steadfast. He is loyal here. He has not abandoned the Lord's cause. Oh, Phigilus and Hermogenes, they turned away from Paul, but on Ecephorus find Paul. It's a contrast. Steadfast. I said you're already to abandon Paul. Does reveal a heart of those who abandoned the Lord. Paul is an apostle of Christ Jesus, a preeminent apostle in many ways. I was just thinking about this this morning and thinking of you folks here, and how thankful I am that many of you have been steadfast in this congregation through thick and thin. Times of difficulty and trouble. And you have not abandoned the Lord's work in this place. That is all of God's grace. But I am churlish if I do not acknowledge and commend you for God's grace in your life in such steadfast loyalty. It is what it is to live in the work of God. The work of God is not always easy, there are times of difficulty. Oh, wait, we want always the times of great joy and vibrance in the Lord's work. We want a, a sense where you, you come with an excitement to the house of God, but sometimes the Lord's work is difficult. And in such times, if the church has not abandoned the gospel, then it's vital to be committed to the church of Christ in this place through thick and thin, praying and encouraging, and seeing God's work develop in his will. Steadfastness. Selflessness here. Oh Nicephorus is one who risks his life in loyalty to the Lord's work. He, he clearly has given his time, his energies, he's travelled to Rome, he's involved in all of this because he has not put himself first. He- he's put the Lord's work first. Christ preeminent. Others second and last selflessness in the work of God. And again, this is not just an example of any sephiris. This is clearly the example taught by Paul in Philippians chapter 2. Esteeming others better than ourselves, steadfast, selfless service. He ministered, verse 16, he oft refreshed me. That's, that's a beautiful term in the original, the idea of cooling off. Paul, in the heat of battle, has the enjoyment of Onycephalus coming like a glass of cold water to his soul. Not dampening his enthusiasm, but easing his pain and his sufferings. You know, again, part of being a Christian is receiving such encouragement. You know, there are some in the Lord's work, and they've, they have given and given and given so much but they find it difficult to receive help and encouragement from others. They've been the dominant leaders, the encourage of others in the work of God, and in their time of struggle, people come alongside, and it's almost sense of pushing them away. If the courageous Apostle Paul could acknowledge him being refreshed by Onesiphorus, how much more do we also need help in times of need? So be those who not only give, This work of refreshing, but also glad they receive it when it is your personal need. It's a fascinating account of history, a real insight into what it is to be a Christian at that time and in this time. Before I move on from the examples, please note this. Paul implies here that the conduct of Onesephorus and, yes, Phygelus and Mogenes is seen of the Lord. Note the prayers that he offers here, verse 16 and verse 18. The Lord give mercy unto the house of Onesiphorus. And then verse 18, the Lord grant unto him that he may find mercy of the Lord in that day. This section actually has, again, caused all manner of vain speculation. The Roman Catholic Church will use this section to suggest... That this is inferring, praying for the dead. Yes. They suggest that Onesephorus at this point is dead. And therefore, Paul is praying that he'd have mercy of God in the day of judgment. And because he's dead, therefore, there is need for the family of Onesephorus to also know the mercy of God. And so the argument is, this, this is an example of praying for the dead. It's not. You know that. It is clearly not such The thing, what I think is happening here is more than likely that Onesiphorus is still separated from his house. Not sure why. He may still be traveling back from Rome. He may well even be in prison. We're not told the reasons, but clearly there is a need to highlight both the house and Onesiphorus himself. Now, we, we understand that we're not saved by works, But we are saved unto works, and God sees our works. And therefore, Paul is praying in essence, Lord, see them that they may also know the well done of God. The favor of God upon the household. I don't do this. I've never done this before. But I want to speak to my own family here. My work as a pastor has greatly impacted your lives. I'm not talking in terms of sacrifice in this way, but it has a massive impact on your life. May the Lord give mercy unto our house. I don't do this, but I want to right now. Children, the Lord understands what you have gone through as I entered the ministry and served as a servant of God in this place. The Lord gets it. You can pray about that. Bring that to God in prayer. And extend it further. There are many of you and your children are complaining because of your Christian living. Children, as your parents have given their lives for Christ, that also has impacted your life. You are different than people around you in this world. You have different experiences and challenges. The Lord is not unmindful of that. So, I can pray this prayer for the families of God's people here. The connection's there. So, we serve. We serve out of God's grace. And God understands that service, and He is not unmindful or unforgetful of our labors of love. Hebrews 6, verse 10. That should encourage our hearts as we labor for God, stand fast, hold fast. Keep the thing committed. Be strong in the Lord. Why? Remember the examples. These things should encourage you in the Lord's work. Secondly, depend upon the Lord. That's verse number 1 of chapter 2. Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Now please understand this. This is not Paul adding misery to Timothy's struggles. I suspect at this point, Timothy feels his weakness. And therefore, if you feel weak, and I say be strong, that could be a real problem. If I say you have a broken leg, start walking, trouble, yes. So what's happening here is, in the original context, in the grammar, this is not Timothy's work. This is Paul telling Timothy, be strengthened, it's in the passive voice. It's recognizing that Paul, that Timothy's strength is not found in himself. It is being strengthened by God in God's grace. It's a word of blessed encouragement. Not making him think, I am not strong. I can't be strong. It's a recognition. I know you can't be strong, Timothy. Be strong in the Lord. Because he's the one that strengthens you. It's in the passive voice, it's present. It's an ongoing need. Something's not once and for all. It's a continual need for God's servants and God's children to constantly be strengthened. Again, I say, this is particular, but the application is very, very broad. Because not one of you here for whom this text doesn't make sense. Not one single Christian here can say, this does not apply to me. We are weak, but he is strong. And thus, if we're going to be strong, it's only going to be in the grace of the Lord. This was Paul's own experience. Turn back to Acts chapter 9. Right at the very beginning of Paul's ministry, Acts chapter 9, Luke records. He records the ministry of Paul in a very particular fashion. Paul is preaching in verse number 22, but Paul, or sorry, but Saul increased the more in strength. Now we're not given much exposition there in Acts chapter 9. We're not, we're not told an awful lot about what that looked like. But the same word, okay, so you see the word for he increased in strength. The same word is then used over in 1 Timothy, back to 1 Timothy. Because as Paul reflects upon his ministry he says in first timothy 1 verse 12 and i thank christ jesus my lord who hath enabled me there's the same term in other words this strength that paul has in mind is the strength that enables him to do his duty before god and you need that same strength you may not need the strength that timothy needed to do his duty But you all need the strength for your duties and your particular responsibilities, whatever they may be in the will of God. You need the strength of God, but it's a strength that enables. I thank Christ Jesus, my Lord, who hath enabled me. And then at the end of his ministry, 2 Timothy chapter 4, and the verse number 17. As all men forsake him, verse 17, notwithstanding the Lord stood with me, And strengthened me, that by me the preaching might be fully known. You see again, the Lord has strengthened him at the start of his ministry and throughout his ministry. This is Paul's experience. And so as one who has experienced this from God, he is one who continually encourages the people of God in the same thing. You see, Paul tells Timothy back in chapter 2, that the strength that is found is in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Remember the grace of Christ Jesus, verse number 9 of chapter 1. God has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to His own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. In other words, very simply, the strength that you need as a Christian was a strength that was promised to you before the world began. It's in the eternal purpose and plan of God to strengthen you, to enable you, to hold fast, to keep, and to be strong. The gospel of Christ that delivers you from your sins has alongside those promises, the assurance that in your weakness you can know the strength of God. Therefore, Timothy... Be strong, not in yourself, but in the grace that's in Christ Jesus. And so Paul says to Timothy depend on God's strength for your duties, depend on God's strength for your responsibilities. God's salvation includes within it the strength to be faithful despite our hardships. It's part of God's provision that we're saved, we're forgiven and we shall be glorified. Therefore, between justification and glorification is every strength you need to be faithful in your duties before God. And so Paul tells the believers in Ephesus, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might, because I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. So how does God strengthen us? We depend upon the Lord. Well, when you remember again, this is a connection of thoughts here. We see the answer to the question, how does God strengthen us? In verse 14 of chapter 1, that good thing which is committed unto thee, keep by the Holy Ghost. I didn't spend much time there last Lord's Day, but I'm glad to get back to it today. The strength that we have is a strength that comes by the ministry of the third person of the Trinity. That's the Holy Ghost. The almighty power of God at work in your soul. Dwelling in you. This is not psychological, psychobabble stuff. To encourage you in vain hope. This is the reality of the gospel. Well, you say, well, preacher, I've never seen this. Well, I think you have. You just haven't recognized it, perhaps. But we do know the Spirit of God works in our lives. Because we know what the fruit of the Spirit is. Love and joy and peace and long suffering and gentleness and goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. We, we know these things in our lives. So, what does the Spirit do? Grants us these graces love, joy, peace, even things like temperance, self control. You know, you don't become more self controlled just because you're getting older. I've seen many older people get more and more, or lose more and more self-control. Dear believer, your temperance increases because the Spirit of God works in you. And so in your responsibilities, fathers, you're not to your children to wrath. So how do you you know the Spirit of God is working within you? Well, because there's temperance in your home life, self-control as the Spirit of God works in you. Enabling you to be a godly husband, a father in the home place. And I can pass that example in different ways. Love, joy, and peace. Given to us by the Spirit. Sustained in us by the Spirit. And indeed increased by the Spirit of God. Depend upon the Lord if you're going to hold fast and be strong in these things. And thirdly, finally, we are to pass on the truth. Verse 2, again I've said, comes still with a connection. All the way back to verse number 13, the form of words, which thou hast heard of me, verse 2, and the things that thou hast heard of me. It's a very, very important verse. Two quick things. It's important regarding the legacy of truth. The legacy of truth. Truth is passed on. Christ to Paul, Paul to Timothy, Timothy to faithful men, faithful men to others. And by the way, we are in the others. That's where we are. We're not apostles. We're not even Timothys. We are those who benefit from the apostles' word from Paul to Timothy to others. We're in the others. Hence, the legacy of truth is that we are committed to old truths, not new truths. The truths that are passed on, I said enough of that last time, the truths that are passed on from one generation to another. It's also important regarding the ministry of truth, Two words, faithful men, believers who are reliable, proven men, and men not women. Gospel ministry is committed to faithful men. But this section, again, I remind you, comes as part of the holding fast, keeping sound words section. You see, our commitment to pass on the truth reflects our own conviction of the truth. How committed we are to pass it on is a reflection of how convicted we are of its truthfulness in our own souls. They are, inter- they are absolutely connected in our lives. Our burden for others must be that they would share the conviction that we have and not fall away. If we are convinced this is the truth, then we will be conv- convinced and committed to passing that truth on to others. In other words, our determination to pass on the gospel to another generation reflects in part our personal commitment to the truth. That's searching and sobering. Put another way, commitment to pass on this truth helps us to hold fast to the form of signed words. It goes both ways being committed to pass on the truth will in itself help us to hold fast to the truth personally. Does that mean we should be committed to a seminary? Yeah. Seminary is not the only way to train young men, but it works. Not infallibly, but really. And so as a congregation, we should be wholeheartedly committed to the work of our seminary, encouraging it, praying for it, supporting it financially. Financially. All of these things, part of our commitment. But of course, the generations to come in the preaching of the gospel doesn't just sit within our seminary, it sits in our pews. And even outside our pews, a Spurgeon who didn't know the Lord is converted by God's grace in his teens The world is turned upside down in London. You see, there are those people outside this congregation who may well be God's instruments for truth in the days to come. But there are those who will be God's instruments for truth in the days to come who are already sitting among us in our churches. And we must be committed to them prayerfully, Seriously, that they would pass on the truth to the next generation in the will of God. So look around you. What are you doing to encourage the young people in this church? Okay, that's the pastor's job and the elder's job. True, it is. But all of us carry a responsibility as part of Christ's church to be committed to passing the truth to another generation all of us. And when we do so, the Lord in his mercy will use that to help us to hold fast to truth ourselves. So these are three devices, three ways to exhort and encourage Timothy. I don't know what the Lord will do in your life today, but may speak through his word. Let's bow together in prayer. Eternal God and Father, we come before Thee again, and we're thankful that we have the form of sound words in our Bibles. We have the gospel of truth, and we pray You give us the grace, though life can be difficult and we may struggle at times, grant us the grace, O Lord, to be strong in the Lord. We thank You for that strength that is found in Christ Jesus. We don't deserve the Lord's mercies, but may we be strong in Thee today, Encourage us, help us. We want to walk with thee. We ask these things again in Christ's name. Amen.